Hi, welcome to the Guys From Podcast, just two guys answering the internet's questions. I'm Sean Cordingly. And I'm Jeremy Berkeley. Today's questions comes to us from Bobby and Alex with eyes. Yeah, all the eyes. All the eyes. And the questions are, any advice for first-time players of RPGs? Yes. And... Any advice for playing the game the first time? Definitely. So they're very closely connected. Yeah, that's why we kind of figured, slash I kind of figured, this would be best to do together. Yes. Rather than, well, together in the sense that we should do these questions at the same time, and also it should be Sean and Jeremy, not Sean and Dave. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Dave could do this for sure. I'm pretty sure I start every time you are on with that disclaimer, where it's just like, I needed Jeremy to do this with. <laughs> this is too geeky for Dave. Yeah. Dave will be back next week. We'll talk about sandwiches. It'll be fine. Come down my geek hole. You. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. <laughs> um, and Bobby, just for the record as well, I did note that you also asked for GM stuff, but we also got another question about basically building your first sessions as a GM and that sort of thing. And that feels like something that we should do separately from player tips. Yeah, I do want to make this point is that uh, GMing the game and playing the game as a player uh, do require different skill sets. Definitely. But at the table, it's actually a lot of the same type of thing. It's similar. Uh, Yeah, so uh, if you are a GM, especially when we get later to playing the game tips, uh, pay attention. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of it does have a a bleed over, and a lot of it is going to inform you uh, in your style as a GM at the table, depending on the players you have. Yes. Because you have to alter yourself depending on what you have. Yeah. As best you can. And also, we're talking about building characters. As GM, you're going to build hundreds. All of them. All the time. (laughs) Every NPC is you. Yeah. So. Yeah. But that's also. Get ready to listen to all the little voices in your head. Yeah. All of them. (laughs) Yeah. And learn how to talk like they do, because yeah. that helps too. Uh, so I think a good place to start at, because we're going to assume D&D for the character building at least. A lot of this stuff is translatable, but that requires system knowledge, yep. which there's way too many systems out there for us to even start. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, For us to cover system-based knowledge and to also dip into fate and all of the other stuff. Yes, even just character building would be a two-hour, at least, podcast, and well, we wouldn't get done. I mean, Fate would be one podcast. Yeah. Uh, D20 would be one podcast. Uh, D&D, yep. one, one podcast. So Pathfinder, yeah. another podcast. Well, pa- Pathfinder's like seven. Um, <laughs> it can be, yep. yeah. <laughs> so Which is, coincidentally, the game that I probably know the best yes. outside of the system I created. Yeah. Because I know the system I made, top to bottom, because yeah, I made, made it. Because you made it. Um. Yeah, so I think the important thing to do with character creation to start with, if you have a person who has never played a tabletop role-playing game before, or if you are one of those people, um, my suggestion is to not play a full spellcaster. Nope, don't do it. (laughs) Speaking as somebody who plays full spellcasters every chance he gets, do not do that as your first character unless you... There is one way that I think it's okay, and that's if you are really good friends with the the GM or and if we're doing D&D specifically I can say DM. Yeah. If you know them really well and they are experienced, no spell casting and are willing to sit with you and walk you through the process. Even then, it's still probably going to be a bit much. Even then, 
you have to be okay with being like, okay, I'm going to take these spells and then writing out cue cards for all the spells you're going to take. You'll need them. Because you're going to need a physical representation of what your character can do. Yep. Um, also, I will say this, probably about 80% of players aren't actually going to enjoy the full spell casting right away. Oh, no. Um, it's nice to be able to do all those cool different things as a spellcaster. Yep. But chances are you're going to end up feeling more overwhelmed and less present in the game. Especially early. And yeah. especially when you're a low casting level. Yes. A lo- when Especially when you're a low level. If this yeah. is tips for new players, I'm not going to start using terms yet. Yeah, yeah. If you are a low level, you will have very little that you can do. And, and you, you will, will feel die weak. very easily. You will feel weak. <laughs> yeah. And you'll feel like you're dragging the party down. Yes. And that never feels great. But once you get a bit more experienced, if you want us to have... I'll throw this out there because I love getting those questions. Uh, <laughs> if you want us to talk about building spellcasters, we can do that. We can do it. Ask. We'll just need to do some prep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Jeremy does not look thrilled at the prospect. I'll do it, though. But you do know that that is my bread and butter. Yeah, I know. So it, I can help compensate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so, Jeremy, how do you feel about a 5-6 cross build where you're specifically focused on lifesteal, but you're also working with a little bit of the dark magics? Well, it'd be fine. As long as you have those restrictions on yourself, it makes your choices easier. Super easy. Yeah. Anyways. But don't do that as your first game. (laughs) So what we're going to do here is I think there's four sort of character classes that lend themselves really well to a beginning player. Sure. Um, in part that they are, one, fairly straightforward, but also quite powerful. Yep. Um, and, of course, the bread and butter is the fighter. Yeah. Um, so we're going to break this down in a couple ways. Um, when you're building your first character, it's really important to think about what you want your character to be able to do at the table. Yeah. Um, and each class does something really, really well, um, mechanically. Yeah. And but you also have to think about what you want to be able to be doing narratively at the table. Um, which is very different for each class and some classes are weaker or stronger in different areas. Yes, they are. Uh, so we're going to start off with the fighter. Yeah. Because that is step 1 in almost every game. Uh I'm pretty sure my first game was a fighter. Yeah. yeah. Somebody yeah. I was interested, they're like, "I will build you a fighter." Is that fine? I'm <laughs> yeah. like, "Yes. yes. That that sounds fine." Um, So much like what the fighter says, you're going to be good at fighting. Yes. That is the number one thing that your character is good at. So you're you're good at fighting, and you're good at fighting all day long. Yes. Um, You're tough. You can be hard to hit or not hard to hit, depending on how you build. But you are going to be tougher than most people, and you're going to get more attacks faster than other people. And in 5th edition, one of the nicest things about the fighter is you get more stat boosts than other classes. Yep. Um, so if you want to be in the middle of the fight, be able to take hits, be able to deal out damage on a melee basis, or ranged, because you can make a ranged fighter. But for your first game... Be melee. Melee. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, then fighter is the class for you mechanically. Yeah. If that... I think the best way to look at it, specifically in terms of fighter, is if narratively the character in your head that you want to be is the front line... Then fighter. Then it's you want to be a fighter. Then you want to be the fighter. Now that being said, because there's such a big focus on fighting, you have to look elsewhere for your characters, uh, the other parts of their personality and identity. Yes. Um, before we get to that, I just want to say, your character is a fighter. 
So find the reason that they fight. A very easy backstory. Yeah. Um, you're a town guard. You want to protect people. Uh, you're a gladiator. It's for glory. Yeah. But find the reason that your character likes to fight. Um, playing against type is great. But in your first game, lean into what your class does. Yes. Um, because there's going to be points in the game where you don't know what to do. And there are several pieces of information that you can look at. Your race, your class, your skills, your stats. That can help you make a decision on what to do. So if you are a fighter and you're in a situation where everyone's talking and it's a Mexican standoff and you don't know what to do and you feel like the game is stalling, hit something. Yeah. Because um, that's in your character. It's in that your character. That is the character that you have built. Yeah. So you do that. Yeah. Now, that's fairly straightforward for the fighter. What's a lot harder to do for a fighter is build in some strong narrative power. Yep. Um, and that's because most of the stats you want to focus on as a fighter are the physical ones. Yeah, because you're fighting. Because you're fighting all the time. And you need to be physically capable yeah. of fighting. <laughs> yes. So my suggestion to players for the first time is try to get at least one non-physical stat decent. Yeah. Now, um, what do you mean by decent? I mean something that you have a bonus to. Okay. That you feel like your character should be reliable at and talk to your GM about this. Yep. Because if we're talking D&D, you have three different stats. Wisdom, intelligence, and charisma. Right. Wisdom. What's wisdom? Well, wisdom is common sense. There's an electrical socket. And you know that sticking a fork in there would be bad, so you don't do it. You might not know what happens. But you know it's bad. You know it's bad, so you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, intelligence. You're the person who's like, oh, electricity is going to come out of that socket because metal is a conductor. I'm so excited to see how you apply this analogy <laughs> to charisma. Uh, charisma is you go over to your friend and you're like, hey, I bet it would be really cool for you to stick a fork in that socket. And they believe you because you're very charming and charismatic. Yep. Um, so charismatic is talking to people. That's uh, deceiving. That's diplomacy. Yep. Uh, that's intimidation in some systems. Um, yeah, it, it's all that stuff. Yep. Um, but I think a trap a lot of people fall into when they have a bad charisma is they make their character unlikable. Um, remember, charisma is a stat that is the force of your personality. Right. It's not necessarily your total personality. Yeah, you could have a, a really high charisma stat and be a horrible person. Oh, easily. People could hate you, but you'd be good at doing it. Yeah. Right? A low charisma might be somebody who's a little more bumbling, but still endearing. Yep. Um, don't trap yourself with a low charisma stat by saying, oh, well, I have low charisma, so that just means I'm boring. That's a choice that's going to make you bored. Yes, it definitely <laughs> is. Um, and it will make the rest of the table board. It will. And it will bore the hell out of your GM. Yep. Yep. Because no matter what they throw at you, your character won't do anything. Right. Um, so think about those three stats on what you want your character to be good at. If you if you chump roll, like if you have a terrible, terrible, terrible trait roll, yeah. sink it into intelligence yeah. if you're a fighter. Be a dumb character. Be a dumb character. They That's are great. so fun to play. And not only that... If you have low intelligence but a high wisdom, how does that interact? Yeah. Right? It means that sometimes you're going to say the simple solution that works. Yep. And surprise everyone. Street knowledge. Yeah. You're street wise. Yeah. Uh, wisdom also is how perceptive you are. Yep. Um, how you can read other people's emotions. 
Which, if you're a great fighter, but dumb as a box of rocks, yep. you can read situations better. You can go with your gut. Yeah. Um, so think about those and try to have at least one thing that is your go-to for a social situation so you're not locked out of those. Yeah, because as much as people probably make it out to be, it's a lot of like, oh, dice chuck in and there's a kobold over there, gotta stab it. It's not, unless you have a GM that's telling you there's, you're specifically just wandering around fighting stuff the whole time and that's it, yep. you're going to have social encounters. Yeah. You might have an entire game day of social encounters yeah, where it's might, like six hours of weeks. It's very possible. In yeah. a weekly game, if you're playing three hours a night, let's say, yep. you might have nine hours of social in a month. Yep. Depending on where you are in the story. So And your GM. And your GM. Yep. Which we'll get to in a bit. Right. <laughs> um, so the second class, because I think that's a fairly good advice for a fighter. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the second class I want to talk about is the rogue. Sure. Uh, so. Do you like stabbing stuff do you in like the back? like doing a lot of damage all at once? Do you not care if you're a glass cannon? Do you like flipping around? <laughs> Do you like being really good at a few skills? Rogue. Rogue. Um, so, first of all, the first thing you have to think of when you're being a rogue is what type of rogue are you? Yep. Uh, and I'm not even talking mechanically here. I'm talking, are you a swashbuckler? Are you foppish? Are you a dagger in the night? Are you an assassin? Are, are you just a street urchin? Um, all possible rogues. All possible rogues. Rogue is one of the broadest character archetype classes. Yeah, for narrative purposes yeah, especially. Because yes. basically you only need one high stat for the class to work. And that's dexterity. Yep. I'm glad you said it because I would have called it agility because that's what it's called in my system. Yeah. And yes, dex. Um, so what that does is it gives you a lot more freedom in terms of character type. My, my suggestion is if you are a player who uh, likes a lot of uh, personality in their characters start with a rogue yep because um, it gives you a wide array of skills that you're going to get very good at and dex and charisma yeah uh, dex and charisma or dex and intelligence yep you could be that mastermind behind this behind the scenes of a heist yeah or an Errol Flynn style pirate yep yeah you, there's there's tons of stuff you can do so my suggestion is if you really want that personality yeah uh, go for a rogue You'll do a ton of damage. Yes. If you are smart, you have to think tactically in combat because you can't take that many hits. And that is also part of it. If you've never done anything tactical, like any tactical games, tactical RPGs, yeah, haven't then, had to think like that, Rogue is probably rogue. not your best bet yeah. as opposed to Fighter, where Fighter can take some damage. The Rogue is also for people who want to be more creative in combat. Yep. Let's say you don't want to be the person who stabs. Instead, you want to be the person who grabs for that rope and ends up hanging an enemy from the bell tower with it. Yeah. Rogue has the best chance of doing that. Yep. Um, so if you're going for a rogue, mechanically, you're going to need a high dex. Yes. Make sure you get, again, one of those personality stats higher. If not two. Yeah. Yep. Um and then the really important thing with a rogue is the skills you choose. Yes. Um, more so than the fighter. Yes. Um, because, one, you get a few more skills and you're very good at them, but it makes every other skill you have feel like an inability almost. Almost. Um, so, are you a sneaky rogue? If you're a sneaky rogue, take stealth. If you're not a sneaky rogue, then don't take stealth. Make sure you focus down on what you want to do. And if you're unsure of what a skill is doing, ask your GM. 
That's Be- that's going to be the number one, like, that should be the motto for any new player. And yeah. the number one advice from any point on ask is your GM. ask the GM if you don't know. Because here's the thing about skills. Every GM has different applications of them. Yep. Um, when I run, I have sort of a sliding scale of difficulty. Depending on how that person approaches the situation, it might be lower or higher. Right. Um, there are also some things that I take into account because a player doesn't have perfect knowledge of the situation. True. That you might get a success that is completely different from what you wanted. Yeah. Um, one of my players in a game recently tried to get their mentor uh, into a temple of cord which is a god of fighting, basically. Uh, basically to live out his days in retirement training other fighters, which makes sense in a very broad term, but I know that followers of court are expected to fight until they die. Uh, so that's not really a nice retirement. I mean, it is a retirement of it, sorts. Yep. Uh, so when they succeeded on their persuasion role, I instead had the character give them a suggestion that would be closer to what they actually wanted, right? Right. Now, some GMs won't do that. They'll just be like, you succeeded, so yeah, he goes there, and then you visit two weeks later, and he's dead. Yep. So talk to your GM about how different skills are applied and how they view them, because everyone will view them differently. Yes, it does come down to that. But the rogue ends up being the skill monkey of almost every group. Typically, yes. So if you want to do high damage and you want to feel very useful in specific circumstances, rogue rogue is for you. Yep. Yeah. Also... It's hard to speak against taking stealth, unless it's really against the narrative that you're building for your rogue. Yeah. Stealth is one of those skills that a lot of players, my GM is going to sneak out here, but... I love stealth. I know you do. (laughs) That's why you invented a character that was incredibly stealthy, and also used your situation well. Yeah. But (laughs) there are so many groups that don't think about stealth. Because they don't think about sneaking. They're like, oh, I'm a fighter. I don't have to take stealth. Oh, I'm a spellcaster. I don't need to be sneaky. Yeah. Stealth and persuasion or diplomacy get you into more varied amounts of situations. Yeah. And will come up, depending on your GM. Again, maybe they'll see they'll see the character sheets of your party and be like, okay, well, we're never having a stealth check unless I want them to die. Yep. <laughs> but there are a lot of situations where if you're stealthy, you're really going to help the group. And it's going to give you a lot of agency to do different things. Yeah, and we'll talk about agency a lot in the second section of this. Yes. I just I <laughs> yeah. just wanted to float that out there. Also, because I am less familiar with D&D than I am with Pathfinder, most of this first section is me going, yes, and agreeing <laughs> with Jeremy, yeah. because he has more intimate knowledge of D&D 5th. Yeah. So, yes. Yes. Uh, so, the third class. Uh, the third class I'm going to suggest is if a player really, really, really wants some sort of spellcasting. Yep. They really want the spellcasting, and they are sure that they can do it. My suggestion is direct them to a paladin. Yes. There's a couple reasons for this. One, a paladin has built-in motivation to it. Yep. Always. Uh, unlike the fighter and the rogue, paladin always has a motivation. Yep. It's a very straightforward motivation. And I totally encourage people to try and make it more complex. Yeah, uh, to, if you to can. make it more interesting for them. Again, why does your paladin do this? What's the central reason? Yes. Um, and you know, I would not actually go for the standard lawful good paladin, unless that's what you're interested in. Yeah. If if you really want to play lawful good paladin, fine. The trap with lawful good paladin is that you can stop the group from doing things they want. Oh yeah. 
Because um, you're lawful good. Because you're lawful good. No, you can't break into that store and like eavesdrop on this noble. No, you can't do that. Um, so you become an obstacle to your own party. If you're fine with that, or your slash your party's fine with yeah, that. Yeah, slash your party's fine with that. Then go for it. It can be great. Yeah. But I would actually say um, if you're going fifth edition, which I would recommend over uh, any other five or fourth edition that they'd probably get their hands on. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you're going for that, I would go for Oath of the Ancients. You've basically vowed to protect the natural world. Yeah. Um, which sounds like it's a little bit druidy, but really it's not. It's just you want to stop people from exploiting nature. Um, and you are generally a good character. Yep. So if somebody has a good reason for breaking the law, you'll let them. And you're not locked into lawful good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, some GMs don't care about alignment. In True. Which, in which case, choose whatever oath you want, do whatever you want. Um, but again, what's the reason your paladin does this, and what's the line in the sand for them? Yep. And what are the few things that might make them bend that line? Yeah. Because that's going to be what makes the game really interesting for you. And that is backstory work that you should be doing as you're building your character. Yeah. Just take that little bit of extra time building out your backstory, and we'll. Are we going to get to backstory? Eventually. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll do a section of it right at the end of the character building. Okay, cool. So I will I'll get to more of it then. But yeah, yeah that is something that you should come in knowing yeah. and not try and find as you're playing because in the nature of a group, especially if it's a group of more experienced players and you're one of the few new ones or if you're the only new player, you may find yourself bending a line that you wouldn't think you would because you're either A not confident enough to speak at the table or B because you're not sure of what your line is, so then you're going past it, then you think back and you're like, oh crap, that should have been my line, we shouldn't have done that, yeah, I've broken you, my then, own character. Then you feel like you've broken your own character, and right. that's never fun. But anyways, what makes Paladin great for the person who really wants spellcasting is one, at level one it doesn't have spellcasting. Nope, nothing. Nothing. It's just basically a fighter with a few magic abilities. One, you can be an off-healer and an off-tank, so that means that even if you don't really have an optimal build or a build that you end up liking, you are always going to have some use. Yep. Uh, and even though it sounds like you're building that for the party, really, if you don't feel useful at the game, you're not having fun. No. If you just feel like you're along for the ride, it's so, not fun. Some sessions. Yeah. Can be fun. Yeah. If it's just, if something happens, it's like, oh, you're possessed. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. then you're just there and doing what the GM needs you to do. Yeah, but which can be very fun. Yeah. But uh, there's built-in use to a paladin. Yes. Um, even if you're just a sack of hit points. Yeah, hey. Hey. Um, but at level two, you start getting spellcasting. And it's a very, it's a very limited, narrow very limited. field. Yeah. Yes. You don't have 40 spells to choose from. Nope. You don't have a thousand slots. Nope. And the other nice thing about uh, paladin... Uh, is that it doesn't get the super high level ever spells. Um, you are you never become at the same level as like a wizard or something. Nope, never. Uh, and that sounds like a bad thing, but what it does is it makes that player who is interested in the spellcasting experience the spellcasting, but they also learn the other parts of the game. Yep. Which is when we were talking about spellcasting at the very beginning of this, the reason why you're going to die is because you don't understand the other parts of the game. Yeah. So Paladin's going to let you really explore that. Um, for those people who don't really know what their character is, they don't have a character idea, it's very built into the Paladin. Yep. 
so it's going to be easier for you to build off of. And not only that, a paladin comes from an order. There are other people like you. Yes. So it gives the GM or the DM, as well as yourself, a resource to pull from personality-wise. Yep. And um, also NPCs, or if you're having story trouble to help tie you into the story or yep. bring something out of the story using your order or your oath or anything that's built into your character from the very beginning. It's also one of the very few classes that has a physical and a social stat as both being important. Yep. So it's going to force you to sort of be able to play in both those arenas. Yep. Uh, so it's a lot harder to get trapped. That being said, if somebody doesn't want to do spellcasting, just direct them to the fighter. Yep, go fighter. Yeah. All the fighter. Yeah. But if you are wanting spellcasting and you see wizard, sorcerer, warlock, and that is interesting to you, but yeah. it's your first character, paladin. Yeah. Just get get a taste of it first, because you might not like it. Yeah. And that even with the reduced slots and stuff, it gives you an idea. Then just take that paladin spellcasting and times that by five. Yeah. And that's what you have to be processing while everyone else at the table is doing their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Some people dig it, like me. Yeah. Some people don't, like me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last one, and I'm pretty sure you know which class I'm going to suggest here because it's my favorite. <laughs> um, but my last suggestion for a class is monk. And the reason why I'm suggest su suggesting this is it is the most adaptable. Uh, this is an audio form. I giggled, shrugged, and nodded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the reason why it's the most adaptable is because monk has things like extra movement. Yep. Monk has things like unarmed attacks. Monk has things like you don't need to wear armor. Yeah. Um, and also, as you level up, you're going to get abilities that are sort of spellcastery. So you'll get a stunning fist. Yep. For instance, which uses the same mechanics as a spell thing, but instead is an ascent management thing. Right. Not the spellcasting isn't, but this is just much smaller. Much smaller. Much smaller. Um, you're going to be able to take some hits, so you can be an off tank. You're going to do a good amount of constant damage. Yep. And you're going to have some turns where you really shine. Yes. And depending on the type of monk that you want to play, because there are different paths, much like Paladin Oaths. Yep. Um, you can do different things. And again, a monk comes from somewhere. Which They've had to have training. Your character, the foundation of your character is so much stronger in Paladin and Monk than it will be in Fighter or Rogue. Yeah. What if So if you are unsure, but Paladin doesn't sound like your jam, look monk. at Monk. Look at Monk. Also, it's kind of a, it adds a different type of feel to the game. Yeah. If you don't have a monk, or if it's an entire group of like people who aren't playing spellcasters... Having a monk is great because it helps fill some of that void. Four fighters and a bard. Uh, my party mm. my party in the game I run is a ranger. Okay, sure. A fighter. Yep. Uh, two rogues and a monk. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So we don't have a major spellcaster. No. And the monk helps fill in the utility of spellcasting. Yeah, yeah. As Just, much as they can. Ranger will help a can. bit too. Yeah, ranger helps a bit too. But again... Look at the skills. What's the thing that makes your monk different from just the person who sits in a temple and follows all the rules? Right. And again, what matters to you? When are you going to bend? And what might make you break? And again, do that before. Yeah. <laughs> Have that established and written out in your backstory before you go into the first game. Talk to your DM. Yeah. Make sure that it fits, but make sure you know it because it's the only way that it's going to work. Yeah. It's really important to make decisions beforehand. Yes. And 
My suggestion is write those things down. Yep. I know we said we weren't going to talk about other systems, but one of the best things in the Fate system is that every single important part of your character, in terms of personality-wise, you write down. Yeah. Um, so just having a few phrases can really help your character. Buy a recipe card. Yeah. Buy just a 3 by 5 card and write the key stuff down. That way you always have it in front of you. Yeah. If you want to keep it secret, flip it over. Doesn't yep. matter, but have it there. And it can be it can be very simple things. It can you can put, write down hard heart but loves children. Yeah. So you're just cold to everybody unless it's a kid. Yeah. Then you end up founding a school and you live there for the rest of the game. And yeah. You have to build a new character because you you're ready to orphanage. play spellcaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is my suggestions. I guess our suggestions because you agreed pretty much with everything. Yeah, I'd like. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm definitely not being like, well, I don't know, Jeremy. I think one of them should play Bard. I think Bard's the <laughs> no, way to go for a first don't, character. Do not play a Bard as your first character unless you're Sam Regal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your DM is Matthew Mercer. Yeah. So a couple things here just at the end. One, your backstory. Yes. Your backstory should speak somewhat to the motivation you're going to have. Yeah. And you don't need to have a specific goal. You don't need to be like, I need to find Thunderhammer, the epic mall of the gods. But it should be what you're looking for. Yep. Um, and what you something about what your character cares about. And whether that's another person or another location or an object, or it could even be an ideal. And a great way to do that is where your character came from. Yeah. Establish a backstory. You don't have to do the, like, what your character's parents were like if you don't want to. No. Or any of that sort of thing. But having... Knowing where your character came from, started, and building that helps you live it better. Yeah. And you need that. And your DM will appreciate the hell out of it because it means they have stuff to draw on. Yeah. My suggestion for your backstory. Have a location. Yep. Have two characters, one that you like and one that maybe you didn't like. Sure. Yeah. And have some sort of motivation for why you're not there anymore. Why is your character going out into the world? Yeah, I, uh, I'm building a fighter who was fighting in a gladiator pit deep in the forest. I had My best friend was killed in the ring by my main rival. I have left the forest ring because I need to learn other fighting styles to be able to best him in the ring. To avenge my friend. Ta-da! There you go. Perfectly serviceable character backstory. It's not super original or rich but it's a start not only that it has all the pieces a good gm is going to take a look at that and be like okay how can i add some more complexity into this yep how can i twist an expectation and when we come back to this because it's important to the characters so it's gonna come back from a good dm yep how is this going to interact with the story i'm telling as a whole yeah um i have a character in my party right now who made a decision very early on, and this is a first-time player, they tried to call somebody's bluff. Okay, sure. The person wasn't bluffing. They had a wand of disintegration. Okay. Uh, their character died. I would imagine. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the party managed to bring them back. Hey! Yeah, and now that character is a coward. Yeah. Which all makes sense character-wise. Yep. But when I look at it as a GM... I go, okay, if this character is a coward, how can I put them in a situation that either confirms that they're a coward or shows that there's some things they won't run away from? Yeah. Right? Because that gives them a chance for character growth. Yeah. Uh, you, you want... Uh, this goes a little bit into GMing, 
But for the player, think about what choices you want to struggle with. Like, that's advanced thinking in terms of narrative. Yep. But what sort of question is your character about? That's important. It is. Because it's what's going to end up being the meat and bones of your experience at the end. And especially in Paladin or Monk, if you're establishing what has had you go on your journey to leave the Order, to not just be a monk sitting in the temple of Bahamut and worshipping. Like, why have you left? Because you need to find that. Yeah. And that's where your the core is going to come out of. And you're not you don't need to know all of it. And I don't want to give the impression that we're telling you you need to have a full flushed no. out backstory. That backstory Just, that Sean gave a few minutes ago is a great backstory to give your GM. It's a great place to start, and it also gives you room to flesh it out as you're playing. You discover more as you are starting to live this character's life out. I had, a, I had a player ask me to do a flashback scene so that they could add more to their backstory. There you go. So, again, if you have a good GM, they're going to help, what's the word, enable you to, yep. to, to, to tell your story. And not only that, that backstory is going to help inform when something comes up and you don't know what your character would do. Yeah. Uh, any information you have beforehand is going to inform your decisions later. And it will help. it will help you so much. to have at least a basis because some of the conflict in narrative gaming is the fact that you're not always going to have an immediate answer for what to do especially in character yeah maybe jeremy might know how to solve a puzzle i've given them oh this has come up in games before but jeremy's character has no no idea idea. (laughs) (laughs) yeah right so the more i mean we've we've had at that game we've had other players yell at me for doing something oh yeah and my response is, but my character doesn't know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's happened... Multiple times. Several times? Yeah, yeah, multiple times. Yeah. We started a new game recently. Jeremy's character went and... Almost drowned, drowned in the first himself. ten minutes of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, kill his character off drowned. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the getting to know each other stuff. Yeah, it's what my character would have done. Yeah. But it's because Jeremy had a backstory built. Yep. And because once I have backstories, yeah, it's giving people the ability to play within that backstory. But if you don't come with at least the one that I made up about the fighter, mm-hmm. if you don't come with that and you're just like, I've got this sheet with numbers on it and I am a guy that likes to stab stuff. Yeah. That you're not going to, what you put in is what you're going to get out. Much like upper level schooling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I want to do for character building is I want to stress don't get trapped by a choice. Okay. One of one of a really popular archetype when you're building a character is to have this stoic sort of quiet gruff character. It's a yeah. very par- pop- popular archetype. Yeah. But in gameplay what that can mean is that you're not talking to people as much. You're not engaging as much in the social aspects of the game. Or you're feeling trapped because you don't feel like you're connecting with the other players. Yep. So you can still play that stoic character. But think about the ways every person you meet has ways of showing how they feel. What's the way your character shows how they feel? If they're stoic, maybe it's they're the person that always charges in first because they don't want anyone else to get hurt. Yeah. Or... Maybe after a battle, you go and ask every single person how they are. Maybe you always take first watch. 
Yeah. Right? Like, those are small things. Even though you're not a healer, you carry as many potions as you can or because bandages. you're worried. Or bandages because you're worried. Yeah. Or if you want it to be more narrative-based, maybe you make stuff for people. Yeah. Take tailory. Yeah. <laughs> if you Maybe you knit. You knit scarves when you, you insult someone because you're quiet or you don't realize it. Yeah. You, that's how you apologize is you can't say it, but you show it in ways. Yeah. And like this, I, I'm using Stoic as the example, but it's also sure. it's also the person who says offensive stuff all the time, who's a jerk all the time, right? Yeah. That person still has to care about the people that they're with, because this is your first campaign, and you're not playing an evil campaign, right? <laughs> you're not. No. Yeah. Uh, don't play an evil character first. Never. Yeah. Um, I would even say don't play a chaotic character first. Uh, it's, no. It's the trickiest no. character type to play. Yeah. I forgot where I was. I got distracted by that because it's so important not to do those things. <laughs> uh, we were talking about how not to be trapped by a choice. So right. not to be trapped by being stoic or being... Yeah, if you're if you're the asshole, remember, you still have to have some sort of connection to people. Otherwise, your party's just going to hate you. Yeah. And a lot of times in the game, if people don't have that ability to differentiate between the player and the character, it's going to harm your friendship. Yeah, it will. And so, especially if it's a new group. Yeah. Especially if you're a new player. Yeah, don't sabotage your group. Yeah. Don't sabotage your group. Big advice. Yeah. Yeah. Which all levels of player need to remember. Yep. But especially new players. Yep. Um, if you're an asshole, just be an asshole to everyone else you meet. Yeah. Right? If a character says that this other character is really important to them, maybe tone down the asshole on that. Because... If you're being an asshole in that way, you're robbing that other player of their chance to interact. Basically, you're shutting down their story. Uh, and I'm sure you wouldn't like it if somebody did it to you. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, stuff's going to happen at the table like that. Oh, yeah. What I can say is, if something happens and you're not happy with, just say, hey, I'd like to give some feedback on what happened. Yep. And, and have a conversation without getting personal. Be like, hey, when you did this, this is how I felt about it. And I know this is sounding like hippie huggy, but everybody is everybody is first reaction is going to be defensive because everyone who's at that table wants everyone to have a good time. Yep. So if not, you're at the wrong table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you're playing an evil campaign. Or you're playing an evil campaign, which you're not doing. Don't do it. And uh, the last thing I want to say before probably going to a break here, we'll go to an ad. Yep. Is that because you are all, this is also starting to transition into first game stuff. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Is that. If you're building a character and it feels like the GM is putting up obstacles all the time to the type of character you're building, one of two things is happening. Either one, your GM's trying to control your narrative, your personal narrative, into something that they want. Yeah. Which is not cool. No, it's not. And I might suggest finding another GM. It's on them. That one's not on you. Yeah. And the second thing is that your character concept is problematic to the party or the world. Yes. Um, and if that's the case, take a second and look. Because I had a player be like, hey, I want to play a kobold rogue. And I was like, okay, but all like kobolds are not civilized in this setting. Right. So how? why is your rogue different? He's like, no, I'm just a kobold, and I sneak into towns and steal stuff while everyone else sleeps in the inn. Right? And I was like, okay, that's a problem. Because yeah. you're going to get killed in the first town you go to. When a guard finds you stealing and sees that you're a monster. And alone. And alone. And a rogue. And stealing. And not only that, 
because you go off by yourself all the time, that means there's going to be huge sections of the night where the rest of the party's doing nothing. Um, so it's problematic gameplay-wise, it's problematic narratively. Yeah. So if they have good reasons like that, it's because you're they're trying to guide you towards something that's going to make everybody happy. Yep. And, and not, everybody have fun. Yeah. Because that's number one. Remember, it's a game. People are there to have an engaging experience. Yes. It doesn't need to be fun all the time. No, sometimes it won't be. Yeah, sometimes it'll be sad. Sometimes it'll be stressful. Sometimes people are going to cry. Yeah, it's going to um, happen. If that happens at your table, you found a great group. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You found a great group. Yeah, so that's where I'll, I'll leave it there. But when, some, when a GM says no to something you're trying to do character-wise... Just think, is this because it might cause a problem at the table? Or is it because they just don't want it? And don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Because the, like uh, in the game I'm running, there's a bunch of stuff I don't want to deal with. Fair. Because And the reason why is I don't have those books. And I don't want to spend $70 on one of those books. And I don't want to stop the game over and over to check the rules on those. Things. Yeah, okay, hold on. I have to... Check yeah. that again. Which, in my opinion, is a legitimate reason. But if a player was like, well, those stuff is really important to me, I'd be like, okay, well, then you have to track it all, or they'd probably find another game. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah, that is fair. That's it. That's all I have. you have anything else? Um, enjoy rolling the character. Yeah. Enjoy, because you only get to do it once in a Lo- campaign. Love your low stats. Just appreciate them. Yeah. If you roll a three... Enjoy the three. Enjoy the three. The three gives you so much possibility. Here, let's let's run down for each of the basic stats in D&D what a low stat can give you. Okay. So strength. You have trouble opening doors. Which is amazing. Which is great. It's great comedy. Uh, yeah, although some players do get a little frustrated when it takes an hour to manually open doors. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, dexterity. <laughs> you fall over you're, you're, all the time. You're a Clouseau-esque waiter. Yeah. Like you yeah. are. You fall over. You bump into people. Yeah. You're just a general clumsy mess. Yep. So have fun being the pratfall comedy guy. Because it is a lot of fun. Yep. Yep. Constitution. You're a little sickly. You cough all the time. You can't run long distances. Yeah. If, if there's one stat I can recommend not tipping a three into it's it, constitution. Would, it would be constitution you'll die very quickly yeah don't put your three in constitution <laughs> but that's what it would give you yeah maybe later on you want to do that not as a first character not as a, as first, a character. first character don't give them a yeah. three constitution yeah. but maybe you're like third character fourth yeah. yeah when you're when you've got a handle on the system and you have a fun group yeah 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 wisdom you do dumb things yeah you do dumb things and not dumb is in like I, I don't know what this does, dumb. Right. As in, there is a very clearly easy way to do this, and you do not do it. Yeah. There's a door that is open, and you decide to climb into the third story like window building. Yeah. Right? You, you make things more difficult for yourself. There's a light in that window. Yeah. It's bright. I'm going there. Yeah. Somebody's there. But door? But door? No. No, nah. nah, uh, yeah. there's lights there's up there. There's lights up there. <laughs> also, you notice nothing. Yeah. Like, people do things under your nose all the time. Yep. Um, so which, you, get, you get to be oblivious. Which is super fun. It is. It's super fun. Uh, intelligence. You, you're your id. 
whatever the first thought that comes into your head, do it. Yep. It's, yeah. It's almost like playing a strong toddler. Yeah. It you, is super fun. You're also a character that can help any other character because they can say, we need to do this. And you can be like, okay, you don't need a reason. You're dumb. Yeah, that's it. Do it. Yeah. Or if you are like, why, they can give you some crazy reason and you'll still believe them. Yeah. Or you can, like, if you have a high charisma, low intelligence thing, you can get into charm wars with people where you're both charming each other and neither one of you can escape the loop. Maybe that happened once. Maybe that happened. Uh, (laughs) Stupid charm monster I built. Yeah. What's your charm? 26? What's your time? 21? Uh, Okay. So I have to roll a 24 to... Yeah. Get past that. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Uh, but I'm going to try and charm you back. 32? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it creates a fun spiral. Yes, it uh, does. Low charisma stat, you don't get social conventions. At all. You don't get them. Uh, and that doesn't mean you're unlikable. It's Drax-like? Yeah. I think is it's, a good way to think about uh, it. It's Drax-like or it's someone who maybe knows about social stuff but doesn't see the point of it. Yeah. There's a couple different archetypes you can do, but it doesn't mean you have no personality. Nope, there's still a personality there. Yeah. You just don't really engage socially. In the same way as other people. Exactly. I'm playing a low charisma character right now. Awesome. And my low charisma character is just very logical about everything. Yeah. And when somebody does something maybe to spare somebody's feelings or create a profitable situation by making friends, my character does not understand it. Nope. Not at all. Yeah, which is interesting. But again, disclaimer on all these. Remember, everyone is there to do stuff. Yep. Don't sabotage your group. No. Okay, we're going to we're gonna take our break there. Yeah. Because that's a good place to kind of blend over into discussing... Capitalism? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so our second half, where we will talk a bit more about your first game, slash games will be brought to you by Gobblebane. Hey Jeremy, when was the last time you were attacked by goblins coming to my place? We've done this one before. Yes, we have. Hmm, I'd say one-fourth of the time. It's getting better. They've improved their formula. Yeah, they really have. <laughs> yeah. That's all thanks to Gobblebane, available exclusively at Gill and More Associates. Refreshing anti-goblin sprays come in many dynamic scents, including Blood of the Fallen, Essence of Protection, and Sandalwood. Gobblebane. Banish those goblins today! And we're back! Yay! Let's talk about playing the game now. Good! Uh, so I talked a lot for the first half, Sean. Do you want to start this time? <laughs> well, again, you know that system better. I do. And... I do. I feel like I contributed. You definitely did. So it's not that I was just like, Jeremy, talk about D&D, and then blah, I went blah, and made blah, a blah. sandwich. <laughs> what type of sandwich would you make, though? Mm, we'll find out next week when <laughs> Dave and I talk about sandwiches. <laughs> we actually are. We were asked, and you we decided we're going to do it. Awesome. So, sandwiches. Preview. <laughs> uh, okay, first thing that you are definitely not going to think of, wear something comfortable yep nobody ever thinks of that they're just like oh i'll just wear whatever no no it's always going to be warm wherever you are playing unless you're playing in some weird cavernous basement basement 
or in a shop that's got all the windows open. Or somewhere that you can't turn off the air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's one of those situations, yeah. it is going to be warmer than you think. Yeah. Because there's a lot of bodies around a table, probably yeah. eating at some point. Yep. And even even a short session, which is two or three hours, yep. is still two or three hours where you're sitting. Yes. So Mostly those, still. Those tight, tight pants, maybe skip on them. Yeah. You're not going to be comfortable. Yeah. And you want to be comfortable. That double push-up bra... Mm. You want to be comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Comfort. Pull out that sports bra or whatever makes you comfortable. Yeah. Well, it's just – and two to three hours is short. Like yeah. I re- we only play – like our game, the one that I run with Jeremy in it, yeah. is typically monthly. So we play eight-ish hours if it's not. Eight to 12. Eight yeah. to 12 hours. So if you're doing something like that, definitely dress for comfort. Yeah. And don't be offended when somebody gets up to stretch their legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at the table, one of the most important things you can do as a beginning player. Oh, I'm before we even get to that, dice. Oh, yeah. Bring your dice. Bring dice. Bring some dice. Do you, what do you think for a first dice set? Um, you want I would, a set. You want a set. You definitely want your own dice set. Yes. I would just get one of everything. Yep. Uh, one of everything 20. to start with. Yeah. If you're going to get a multiple of any dice, get an D- extra D20. Yep. Because um, some, some systems have multiple dice mechanics for D20s. Yes. But uh, D20 is the one you're going to use the most. Yep, you are. Definitely. And f- watch what your weapon is using. Yeah. What type, what weapon do you use? Or what dice do your spells use? Yes. Because if you are, if you're a spellcaster and you're rolling 66 damage... Yeah. You want D6s. Now, we don't want you being a spellcaster. No. For your first game. But for instance, but, if you were playing a paladin, yep. and you, you're using a warhammer, and you're using one of the smite spells, that's all D8s. Yep. So you probably want multiple D8s. Yes. So take a look at what you have yeah. and what you're going to need. But at the very least, one of everything and probably two D20s. Yeah. The very least. The very least. Super easy to get a hold of. You get very nice player sets at pretty much any FLGS from the local game store or even Amazon. Amazon has great deals on dice. Yeah. Um, And if you don't want to make the investment right away on dice, chances are one of your friends who plays a lot has multiple sets. Yeah. And most people are willing to lend out a set that they don't use anymore. Yeah, very much so. Um, Also, be prepared for everyone's dice superstitions. Yep, because everybody's going to have some and you're going to get them very quickly. Yes. For instance, I like to incubate my dice. My dice need to be in some sort of container. Not see-through. You cannot see the dice. That sounds very weird. No, but I also play games, yeah. so it doesn't sound weird to me at all. That sounds weird to somebody who doesn't play games. Yes. Some people will not let you touch their dice. Yep. And will get very upset if you touch it. Uh, spe- yeah. If they let you or they pass you one, That's okay. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but don't touch someone else's dice. Yeah. Unless they say it's okay. Unless they're my dice, because my dice steal other players' mojo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so dice is important for sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would do is, especially if you're worried about slowing down playing, you have math trouble. Just create a little cheat sheet for a couple things: your attack bonus. Yep. Your AC. Yep. Which is basically your protection level. Yep. Um, and then it stands for armor class, correct? Yeah. Yep. And then the two skills you think you're going to use the most. Just write down the bonuses you have in those. 
because you're going to roll the die, and instead of looking all over your sheet, you can look at the page and the numbers right there. Or, like I was recommending before, have some 5x3s. Mm-hmm. If you have a couple 3x5s, that's going to help streamline a little bit as you're getting used to the sheet. Because the sheet, especially the first time you're looking at it, is complicated. There's a lot of information on it, and it's very densely packed. Yeah, so if you spread out a little bit, again, my inner spellcaster is going to come out. Because as a spellcaster, you you have binders of yeah. stuff that you're using. Yeah. Have a few 3x5s, or have a scrap piece of paper just to the side or have like Jeremy was saying or print one out type it up and print it out so that way you always have it so it looks a little bit different than everything else yep that has a like a quick reference guide for your character yeah. for things like that and while we're while we're on this a lot of people like to keep their own character sheets but personally I think it's better if the GM handles people's character sheets yep um, so bring a paper clip and put all your stuff together yes um, if you want to take it home make a note somewhere that you have your sheet yeah because um, the than last the thing you want to do is show up at the next session without a character. Yep. Yeah. I pencils. Mean, you yeah pencils. Don't write in pen. No, never write in pen. Never write in pen because things are going to change a lot. Whether you think they're going to or not, they're yeah, going to. They're going to. I know some people hate writing in pencil. Yeah. If you hate writing in pencil, bring a tablet or a laptop. Or get a sheet protector that will use dry erase markers or. Yeah. Yeah. Protect your sheet and use a dry erase. Yeah. There are ways around using a pencil, but you need to be able to modify stuff. Always. Always. Yeah. yeah. D&D is not terrible at it. No. But your numbers are going to flex some. But there are systems out there, cough, mine, cough, where numbers, <laughs> yeah. like even trait numbers, will flex during the game. During session. You have one specifically that changes every single time you roll with it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, pencils. Good eraser. Good erasers. Yes. Like You want to be everyone's friend at the table? Bring some good erasers and share them. Yeah. Everyone will love you. And they're super cheap. They are. Buy them when you're buying your dice on Amazon. Yeah. Throw in a package of vinyl, white vinyl erasers. And suddenly you're everybody's friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, snacks. Have some snacks. Yep. If you don't want to bring snacks, bring a drink. Different groups have different rules for what you can and can't bring. Yep. Or expectations. Some groups are all about the junk food and pizza. Yeah. Some groups want veggies and dip. Some groups want... Some groups bring juice. Yeah. And all they bring is juice. And all they bring is juice. All they bring is 12 things of juice, Raj. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's delicious juice. It's nice to have the juice. And we usually go through most of it. Yeah. But it's a lot of juice. It's a lot of juice, Raj. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very specific reference. Yeah. Yeah. But... Talk to the DM yep. and see what they're... The or the who. Talk to the DM or the host. I yeah. say DM because typically DM's host, in my situation, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Because Jeremy's place is much, much better for it than mine would be. So, it's almost like I specifically got it for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but talk to whoever's hosting and see what they're thinking. Because maybe yeah. that's what the host does. Yeah. Is there... They just... They will supply dinner or they will supply snacks but somebody else has to do dinner or drinks or whatever and as a player be aware that the gm is putting in probably a hundred times more work than you are yep so that two hours you spent building your character they've spent 10 hours planning the first session yeah um so be aware of that and it's always nice it's not a bribe to the gm it's a thank you for doing the work yeah Uh, just doing small things Making sure they have a ride, making sure they have a drink, being there on time. 
oh man, I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, any any person who's trying to run, because the thing is, when you go very quickly, these people are going to become fairly close friends. Yep. So when you go, you're not going to sit down and be like, time to play. We've got two and a half hours. Let's go. Um, you're going to sit down and everyone's going to be like, how was your week? What have you been up to? Hey, did you see this funny thing? How did that interview go? Yeah. All that sort you're, of, you're going yeah. to be caught up with each other's lives. So especially if you follow my advice, which is try and go for a weekly game. Um, it's just so much easier and it's so much less likely to fall apart. Yep. Um, so <laughs> you really need a driven DM to keep a monthly game going. Yeah. Well, and a group. Yeah. You need a group that's willing to make make the point of showing up. Yeah. Um, and even engaging with the game when you're not at the table. So that that's that's very good advice. Yep. Number one advice, have a weekly game if you can. Or bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly is okay as well. Bi-weekly is okay. It's still harder than a weekly. Yes, it is. Yeah. Week, well, weekly is just nice because you know, okay, Thursday nights is D&D night. Yep. That's what I do on Thursday nights. Or whatever day, obviously. But... Yeah. So this is all pre-game stuff. Yeah, but I feel like it's important. It, it is Because it's stuff that a new player, you might not think to... Yeah, yeah. The, the number one thing to remember is that you're going to enjoy yourself. Yes. And so everyone else is going for the same reason as you. Yes. To enjoy themselves. Which is why you're not playing an evil campaign. Yep. Don't play an evil game. <laughs> so think about things that are going to make your night better. Yep. But also some things that might... Make somebody else's night better. Yeah. And if you don't know, ask. Yep. Social media is amazing. Yeah. Even if you don't know everybody yet, you will probably know somebody involved unless you're doing a drop-in. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, you brave, brave soul. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For a first game, I don't know that I would recommend a drop-in. No, I would find a friend. Chances are you know at least one person who's played or has played. Yep. Um, So find a friend and try and connect with them. Yes. And you know what? If you're in Calgary and you don't have anyone that you think you can talk to... Tweet at the two of us. Yeah, tweet at us. Tweet at us, because I actually have a friend this morning who was like, hey, a player left my game, I'm looking for a replacement player. There you go. Yeah, regularly on my feed, stuff like that comes up. Yep. Um, so you can tweet at us, and, and I will help you try and try and hook you up. Although, not right now... Because I'm in New Zealand when this is airing. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy is literally going on a three-week vacation. Yeah. As this is airing. So maybe just tweet it, Sean. Yeah. And I'll do what I can. <laughs> yeah. But um, when I get back, for sure. Yeah. When I get back, for sure. Do we want to start at the table stuff? Is that everything? Uh, I think that's everything I can think of. Yeah. For pre-table stuff. Uh, I would say set up your space. Yep. When you take a seat wherever you sit, it's probably going to be where you sit every week. Yeah. Things change up. Unless you have a crazy group that sits in different places every time. I'm pretty much the instigator of that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you'll you'll probably end up sitting there most of the time unless somebody is like, oh, I'd like to sit here because I'm really thirsty and this is closer to the sink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or I'd like to sit next to the GM because I have a lot of Questions. questions. Yeah. Um, or I'd like to sit beside this person because they're my friend and the only person I know here. Yeah. Um, so set up your space. Set up your character sheet and set up your dice and get your drink and have that social time. Yes. But um, most of the time a GM is going to have some sort of signal. Yep. You'll know when the GM is ready. Yes. And when the GM is ready, do your best to settle down. They're not always the easiest to read signals. Yep. Yeah. 
It depends. Yeah, it does depend. Uh, mine. Yours is you get quiet and stare at us. Yep. <laughs> and if it lasts a little while, I'll sigh. Yeah. And then I'll lean on the back of the chair. Yeah. And then everyone realizes, because most of them know me from university or through acting stuff. Yeah. They know what the sighing means. Yep. And they're like, oh. Sean's ready. Stuff needs to happen now. Yeah. Um, for me, as a GM, I try to say, all right, is everyone ready? It's a very simple thing. Some people aren't as direct as that. Yeah. But um, every GM does something different. Yeah. So just try and pay attention to that. Rem- frankly, frankly again, if, if I had an, uh, a new player group, I would be more direct than I am. Yeah. Whereas with our group, because it is such, it's a monthly game. It's just like, okay, we'll be social for a bit. I'm looking at the clock. Okay, I think everything's sort of winding down. Yeah. I'll get my stuff ready. Yeah. We'll be ready to go. And you'll also see other players start to get anxious. Yep. Because they want to play as well. Yeah. So again, be courteous. Everyone's here to play the game. Everyone's here to have fun. So try to read the signals. Yep. Yeah. If you can, phone on silent or off. Yep. It's not always possible. It's not always possible. Yeah. Silent is... I prefer vibrator silent to mm-hmm. off because mm-hmm. I know there is downtime in games. So like, I, it never bothers me if a player has like an hour off because again I'm running 8 to 12 hours if yep. there's an hour where they're very lightly involved but then they're going to be really heavy yeah. maybe the, you just want to read some manga on your phone or you just want to check the news or hit Facebook or something maybe you want to lie on the floor and take a nap yeah that's <laughs> happened several times yep yep once again you're going to get very close to these people yep yeah if it's a good group yeah yeah we'll get into that yeah Okay, so playing the game. We got to the game starting. The game starting. Their typical structure of a game is a GM will describe the situation around you. Give mm-hmm. you. It depends on the group, but usually they will give you setting, what's going on, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So they'll tell you what is happening directly around your characters, give you a little bit of context, and then they will ask you what you, as the party, want to do. Then once that decision is met, or anything that happens, then the GM will narrate how what you has mo- happened. Yeah, how you're moving forward with that, and might ask you to roll. Right. Um, you never need to roll unless a GM asks you to roll. Yes. Uh, now, you might see some more experienced players roll on their own, yep. um, which can sometimes cause problems. But sometimes players also aren't quite sure of what their character would do. Yes. It's on a thin line for them, so they might roll a die and in their head be like, okay, if it's high, I do this. If it's low, I do this. You had a character, your sister was killed. Yeah. Uh, you weren't sure how much, how long you would be crying for. Yeah. So you gave yourself crying checks. Yeah. Like emotion checks. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, I don't know how I would react in this. Yeah. I'm going to roll for it. Yeah. And it turned out narratively quite beautiful that yeah. you just could not stop crying I until the very end when she came back. And yeah. she's like, that's perfect. Yeah. Thanks, dice. Um, the dice are the part of the game that's going to make the narrative special. Because they're yep. the part that nobody knows what's going to happen. Exactly. So don't be afraid to use them, but you only need to roll when the GM asks you to roll. Yes. And they will be very clear about it. Yeah. And they will tell you exactly what you are rolling. And if you don't see something because you didn't prep that card we asked you to, we suggested you do. Yeah. Slash asked you to. Slash please do that. Please do <laughs> Then your DM will help. Yep. Yeah. A good DM will, I should if say. If you're a new player, try to sit beside, beside the GM. Yep. Or an experienced player. Yes. Because 
80% of players are willing to help you. Yep. And they want to help you. Because 80% of people you play with just want you to enjoy the same thing they enjoy. Yeah. Which is the game. Exactly. Yeah. And it will keep the game moving, which makes it more fun. Yep. And it also creates camaraderie. Yep. Which is important for the group. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when the GM starts asking the party to make decisions. Yes. You're reacting to that, but you're also acting. Yep. I think an important thing to do is if you don't feel like there's a strong choice for your character to make, just make a choice. Yep. And don't be afraid to take a little bit of risk. We talked in the first half how in the very first session, in the first 10 minutes, my character almost died by drowning. Yep. But that immediately gave other characters a chance to react to my character. Yep. Right? And how they reacted to that helps inform the party dynamic. Yes, it did. So immediately it creates bonds because I made a choice and stuff happened. Yeah. And also, if rolling had gone slightly worse, you also would have drowned two other characters. Yeah. So, hey. So, hey, fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so don't be afraid to make a choice. Yep. Even if it's a dangerous choice. Dangerous choices are the most fun. Yeah. Without risk, there's no reward. That being said, you don't need to make every choice as a dangerous choice. No, not at all. But if you're at a loss... If you're, if you're playing a cut purse for your first character and you're sitting in a tavern and none of the options are that interesting to you, ask the GM if you can go sneak behind some drunk guy and cut his purse. Yeah, you're a cut purse. You're a cut purse. It's what you would do. Yeah. Um, and also, you might get extra coins, right? If you get yep. caught, suddenly the party has to deal with this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And a good party will. Yeah. And if you're in an evil campaign, that's where your character dies. Yeah. So don't much. play an evil campaign. <laughs> we cannot stress that enough. I know we're railing on it, but it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I know it's narratively interesting. It is. Just wait on it. Yeah. Do it later. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm gonna say is that as the game goes forth, there's gonna be times where it doesn't seem like there's much to do. Yep. You're camping. And the game will be like, Is everyone going to bed then? Who's taking first watch? Yep. Which, by the way, is a sneaky GM hint that maybe you should have a watch. Mm-hmm. Hmm? <laughs> um, but that's also an opportunity. You're at the end of the adventuring day. It's an opportunity for your character to talk to other characters. Yes. And it, it feels like a weird thing at first to talk to somebody in character. It does. You don't need to have a character voice to do it, but it helps. It. Oh, yeah, it can, for sure. Um. But that's how you're going to start creating character growth and character bonds. Yep. And how you're going to find out a lot of stuff about your character that's not going to come out in a normal um, D&D session or role-playing session. Or when you're just sitting there writing it down. Yeah. Like, um, what's a what's a good example? Well, we, we can continue building on the fighter that I had before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're a fighter. Yeah. It's nighttime. Yeah. People are setting up their camp. And I'm the cleric. See, it's, it's a quick and easy conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Fighter walks over uh, with all of the scars. It's just yeah. like, is there any way I could get this to, like, come down a bit? Or? Like, oh, yeah, if I heal you with holy magics, it doesn't come back scarred. <laughs> <laughs> um, so starting that just very slightly, um, I have a character in my game that is a thief. Okay. But they're a pacifist. So... 
they tr- they don't want to kill people. They always try to knock people out. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so there's also a monk in my party, like I said before. Yep. And at w- one point during the adventure, they ended up going to the place that they had trained. And this thief saw all these amazing phys- physical acts from these master monks. Right. And now they're interested, the character's interested in learning more. So went over to the monk character and they ended up basically agreeing to train each other in different aspects of their jobs. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, so one, it's bringing those characters together. Two, it's very strong narratively. Yep. Um, Three, it opens up an avenue for them to multi-class that makes sense in a narrative way. Right. Because generally, when some, as much as you can, you want to marry the mechanics to the narrative. Yes. Um, Because if you abandon the mechanics for the narrative... All of a sudden, anyone can do anything. And even though that sounds like it might be a fun time... It's really not. It's really not. It's incredibly boring. Yeah. And it's getting incredibly boring incredibly fast. Yeah. Remember, this is a narrative game, so the bread and butter of your experience is going to be the conflict you come across. Yeah. And if you can do everything, there's no conflict, because you can solve every situation. You don't have to problem solve. Yeah. Problem solving... A lot of the game is problem solving. Yeah. Here's the problem. You've come across... There are three bandits blocking the road. What do you do? Shoot them with an arrow. <laughs> That's a choice, right? I bribe them. There's another choice. I talk to them because they're part of my local thieves' guild. There you go, right? <laughs> like, there's three different choices. Yeah. All of them are tied narrative, but they're all tied mechanically. Yeah. And that's the other thing with taking risks. There is always an obvious choice. Yeah. There's always an obvious choice. If you can't think of anyone, any other choice, take the obvious, obvious choice. Yep. But remember, you don't have to take the obvious choice. No, you don't. It's a game with incredible freedom. Yes. And that's why it's fun. Yeah, that's why <laughs> that's why it's fun. And you know what? Sean does way more prep than I do when he GMs. Yep. But Sean loves it when we go off script. Yeah. It teaches him things about the game and the characters so that he can make a better story. Yep. And the, a lot of the prep I do, I don't do linear. This is tying into the GM stuff. I don't do like a linear path prep. Mm-hmm. I do world building. Mm-hmm. So if they go off path from what the main story is because I have a narrative arc but if they're off of that I'm just it's in the world that I have so yep. okay great yep let's find out more about this stuff and that might come back later it very well could or you just spend four hours mining yeah whatever whatever are you having fun number one question to ask are people having fun number one question to ask for yourself is are you having fun yeah if you are there's a good chance everyone else is too yep yep some advice I want to say for role playing, sure, okay, um, is is because not everybody is going to have training in narrative, whether that's writing or acting, or singing or dancing. Yeah, um, that's all narrative work. So my advice to you is, what makes you uncomfortable, and go to the edge of that. Right. Don't step right in. You don't want to be stressed out and anxious the entire time. No. But just stretch your boundary a little bit. Yep. Um, because chances are you're going to do the thing, and it might not work out the way you want it to, but it's going to be interesting, and lo and behold, it'll be fun. Yep. Um, when we talk about conflict, that's not just, oh, there's a fight here, oh, there's a so there's an argument here. You also have uh, player conflict for things that make you nervous. Yep. And playing with that is not only going to make you, in the end, a stronger role player... But it's actually going to translate to your real life. Yep, it will. Uh, I have a character, a player, who's terrified of public speaking. Okay, yep. Um, At some point in the campaign, we came back to her hometown, to her family she had run away from. 
No one else could speak there. She had to. I was gentle with her because I knew it was uncomfortable for her. Yep. Right? But now she speaks up regularly in the game. Good. Right? So it, it it's going to, one, help you find where your character is different from you. Yep. And where they're the same. Because it's not you. It's you're not. playing somebody else. Yeah, and that's a thing to remind yourself, too. If somebody does something that you're like, ugh, yeah. why did they do that? That's so frustrating. Be like, is that the character or is that them? It's the character. It's the character. Most of the time. Yes. Um, you're, there, are, there are some players who do a lot of self-insertion. Yes. Lots. Yeah. It so, happens. It happens. But that's not your problem. No. That's the GM's problem. Yeah. They will deal with it. Or they will try to. <laughs> well, the good ones will deal with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like that character just got hit by a meteor. Hmm. Dead. <laughs> uh, we're gonna resurrect it. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, one thing I would bring up because you're gonna get attached to your character probably. Oh, the especially first... your first one. Yeah. As long as it's not a one-off. That yeah. was my deal. Where I had a fighter for a one-off. I was just yeah. like, oh, that was fun. I yeah. really enjoyed that. And yeah. then the net, like the full, full-fledged first character. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Your first full-fledged character you're going to get attached to. Yep. So my suggestion is that before the game starts, because every single person has a different way of dealing with character death, just ask what character death is about. Yep. I'm the type of GM where if you want that character to come back, narratively I will figure out a way. It might be a few sessions. You might have to play a sub-character for a while. Yeah. But we'll get that character back. Sure. Some GMs are like, if your character dies, they're dead, and you have to have a new one. I, I have an a way to do it. Yep. But it is not easy, and it can be very punishing. Yep. But if if it's worth it to the party, yeah, to do, then they have the ability to do it. Exactly. Exactly. So, I would bring that up, because otherwise you might get to the first character death, and the group will fall apart. Yeah. Just because people aren't prepared. Yep. Especially uh, a lot of new players. Yeah. If it's a if if it's a new player group mm-hmm. entirely, mm-hmm. oof. Yeah. That uh, first one's gonna hurt. Yep. I would say also, I know you want a happy ending for your character, but what you should be striving for is an interesting ending. Yep. Um, whether that's the end of the campaign or a character death in the middle of the campaign, when when everything's said and done. When uh, it's been a year since you've played that campaign or that character or that game, yep, you're gonna remember a few things about your character, but mostly you're gonna remember how things ended. Yep, because if you don't go off on a satisfying final note, that character is gonna feel unfinished. That's not. It's not the great. best. No, it's not the best, and you're gonna have enough of those because we've said a couple times groups fall apart. Yeah, they do. And honestly, don't try not to take it personally. Yeah, it's people have different commitments. Scheduling is a nightmare. Lifestyles change. Yep. It's incredibly rare to get a group that lasts for more than a year. Yeah. Incredibly rare. Um, if you have that, cherish it. Um, we, we are very lucky. Yeah, we're very lucky because it's a lot of experienced players who are committed to the monthly schedule, where it's just like. This, we're, we're, we're a bunch of friends it. who want to see each other. Yep, and this is and the game is the vehicle for for us to do that. Yep. So, don't be afraid to distance yourself from a group that you're not happy with. Yeah. Um, if you're playing over and over, and you're not having fun. Well, first of all, talk to your GM. Yeah. <laughs> be like, hey, I'm not having fun. 
Maybe it's because you built a character that doesn't do what you want it to do because you didn't listen to the first half of this podcast. It's possible. Yeah. Maybe you skipped through it. You're Maybe. like, Man, I'm going to the ad and yeah. then the playing stuff. Yeah. I want to have the fun part, the game. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or, you know, maybe the GM is running a pure Dungeon Delve campaign. And so that's not what you're looking for. That's not what you're looking for. Yep. That's all fine. Yeah. Try to find the stuff you're looking for. There's a game out there for whatever you're looking for. Yeah. If you, if, if you, literally, if you want a game that is just social encounters and political intrigue and, like, balls and elections or monarchy politics where it's backstabbing and court intrigue and stuff, yeah. you can find it. You want to play something where you're all carrots? You can probably you can find probably it. You can probably find it. Everything is possible. You yeah. can find the game, or you can find a DM who is willing to build a game that you are looking for. Yeah. Because they are looking for the same thing, and then a group will come together around that. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who is... I, I won't play with him. Okay. Doesn't mean I like him any less. Sure. But basically, all he wants to do is character insertion and make jokes. Oh, yeah. Right? That's not the type of game I want to play in. Yeah, that's fair. Right? Is there a game for him for that? Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's up, to, it's up to him to find it. Yeah. Right? So even if a group falls apart or you start something and it doesn't work out, even if these are your close friends, don't be afraid to be like... Okay, I don't... Jim and I yeah. don't game together well. Mm-hmm. We're just, he's looking for something that I'm not looking for. Yeah. But Beth, we're always doing character stuff together and we're going off on things. Yeah. So maybe if this group falls apart, I'll talk to Beth, maybe talk to the DM or find another DM and we yeah. can start building. Because you'll find, even just looking at it that way, you can build and cobble together a group yeah. that is playing the way that you feel like playing. Yeah. And not only that, pay attention to what's happening. And... If you can, if you can do different, like, one-shots, if you know several groups, be like, hey, can I come in? Yeah. Even just to watch, because the more you play, the more you're going to figure out what you like. Yep. Uh, and what you don't like. And there will be stuff you don't like. There's there's going to be stuff you don't like. That's how I found out I don't like managing a spellcaster. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I I am super bored playing fighter. Yeah. Super bored. Yeah. It's just, it's not for me. But I played it once. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, and those shorter, those shorter groups, those short, shorter sessions. Yep. Are wonderful le- learning tools. Yes, they definitely are. Um, uh, for you and your friends. Once you have had a couple of one-offs as well, look into the game cafes. Yeah. Some of, a lot of them do have D&D nights yeah. where there are drop-in campaigns and that sort of stuff. Yeah. If you're really desperate and you don't want to risk talking to your friends about it for whatever yeah. reason. Or you're just looking for more experience yep. is what I'm thinking too yep. because you'll experience a different type of player than just your friend group yep. at a drop-in night. Yep. And usually the DMs have to be super good to be willing to do that. <laughs> That's why I said usually. <laughs> yeah. Usually they have to be good enough a to do A disclaimer for like that. that though, it's going to be loud. You're in a public Very. place playing. Yeah. So it's going to be loud and distracting. If that doesn't sound like you want to do that then avoid it completely then avoid it because you're not going to have a good time but it is an option out there that i want to make sure is known because it is something that can really help if you're looking for a group or a style or just to try something different okay back to playing the game sure an important thing is because 
everybody's done a great job on their backstory. Because they've done a great job on their backstory, and they did it before the game started. Yep. <laughs> Hint. Um, <laughs> everyone's going to have different motivations. Yep. There's going to come a point in the game where somebody's motivation is going to be the prime motivator of the party. Yep. Do your best not to strangle that. Yeah. Then it might be something that makes your comfortable or makes your character uncomfortable or you uncomfortable. Yep. And you know there's a threshold that maybe you can't pass. Yeah. If that happens, bring it up. Talk to the GM. Talk to the GM. Talk to that player if you're comfortable. Yep. Enough doing it. But even if it's something you think your character wouldn't do, try to go along with it. Find a way. Yeah. Remember what I said before with the don't get trapped by your character traits? Yep. There are different ways of doing things. Yeah, exactly. Um, You don't have to always have the same reason as everybody else. In fact, it's more interesting if you don't. It really is. Um, For you and the party. Find those reasons. And if there's something you are struggling with it for a reason, just take a second and think about it. Go along with it for now, right? You can find your reason later. Because... If you're engaged with the game, if it's a good game, you're going to be thinking about it away from the table. Oh, yeah. And that's when some of the best stuff is going to come to you. Yes. And again, take opportunities to talk to other players. Yep. Because by doing that, you're going to start caring about the other characters. In which case, maybe this isn't something your character would do. But do they want to help their friend? Mm. Probably. One thing that we've kind of danced around a couple of times, and you've even brought up in passing, is pay attention. Yep. Yep. Pay attention. Listening. Awesome. Listen to the other players. Yeah. And just, that, that can because, make you uncomfortable a little bit. Just because you're not in a scene. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved in the table. Yeah. And, like, we're not saying to meta play. No. And, but what we mean by that is to take things that Jeremy knows and apply them to Jeremy's character. Yeah. Because there will be situations where Jeremy's character, let's call him Teak. <laughs> That's that's one of the characters in the games that I run for Jeremy. Yeah. So Teak is not in a scene, but there's a scene going on mm-hmm. where information happens or information is gathered, which could help the party, which now Jeremy obviously knows because he's paying attention. Right. But Teak does not. Yeah. So what that does is it creates a situation where a meta is possible. Right. But it also creates a situation, not all meta is bad meta. Having that knowledge lets me as a player, for instance, later on, someone can be like, oh, we found this out. And now they don't have to actually tell me because I was paying attention. Yes. One of the worst things and one of the things that bothers me the most as a GM is when there are players that aren't paying attention. And then something that I have spent all of the detailed time explaining has to be re-explained. Remember that 10 hours your GM worked on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just flushed it down the drain. Yep. Now I got to do it again. Yeah. Dope. <laughs> yeah, that's how you get an irritated GM. You don't want an irritated GM. No, irritated that's... GMs make bad things happen. Yep. That's when characters die. Yep. That's when those first character deaths start coming into play. Yeah. Fast. But paying attention, yeah. even when you're not engaged. And I'm not saying don't, again, if you have a gap. And you are playing a a four-hour campaign, and the two characters have gone off to do some stealth stuff, and you are the meat shield, so you can't do any stealth. Yeah. Pull out your phone, but pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. And you know what? Nobody's going to be perfect at this. Nope. 
a, a jam's only going to get irritated at you if this is a regular thing. Yes. And if it is a regular thing, chances are that GM is not going to invite you to a group again. Nope. And that's, I'd, I'd say that's, other than being just a total giant asshole all the time. Yeah. Um, that's the number one way you can get locked out of playing games. Yep. Not being engaged just not and being, not paying attention. Because if you're not engaged, a lot of times the GM or other players are thinking, why is this person even here? Yep. Hey, roll uh, roll this. What? What? Yeah. That's, that is my least favorite question yeah. in any game. It's yeah. like, uh, I'm going to need you to roll a intelligence check. Oh, but I'm on the ship, right? What? <laughs> n- n- no? Oh, I thought I was on the ship. Did we? Were we doing stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so what's happening? <laughs> Roll for initiative? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's about being polite. Yep. Um, and not even polite, but courteous. Everyone took time out of their days to come do this. Yeah. Everyone took time outside of this to get ready for it. Yep. Um, the host probably cleaned up. Yep. The GM spent time building the narrative. Yeah. Other people went out and bought dice. And juice. And juice, so Raj. Much, like, so much juice has been purchased specifically for this. Yeah. Um, there is a type of berry that you can't purchase anymore because of juice. We've talked about Critical Role a couple times. We have. There's a whole thing on the internet that's thanks, Keelan. And it's people being like, you're an idiot, I hate you. But legitimately, sometimes, Marisha, the player, is not paying attention. And it's frustrating as a viewer. It's frustrating as a player. It's frustrating as the GM. Yep. And it, it it's so infuriating because everyone else is doing a great job. And and I say great job, but everyone else is having a good time and engaging. So And they're having a 45-minute conversation that you're not really wanting to sit through to watch, but you're doing it anyway because they are doing it for character purposes, and that's entirely fine. Yeah. And it gives the GM time to reset and to set up the next thing and to rest their voice because they're talking a lot more than you are. Yep. So they're taking that time. Or to set up that next encounter where they have to track 50 different things. Yep, which is <laughs> super fun. Yeah. We'll deal with that later yeah. in a future podcast, maybe next month. Really, really not not engaging or paying attention at the table on a regular basis is an act of disrespect. It's a cardinal sin when yeah. it comes to this. Yeah, so uh, don't do that. If you get distracted by something, That's you fine. get a phone call. That's fine. A, a GM's going to understand. Yeah. Like, it's, it's we're not talking about that. Yeah. We're literally talking about zoning out for 45 minutes through a conversation and then bringing up all of the same points that were already brought up again. Or whispering to your friend on the side while everyone else is doing something and laughing. Yeah. While important stuff is going on. Like, the game is there for you to have a good time. And you can joke with your friend. Oh, yeah. But maybe don't do it for 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you can think of for a first game? Um, know your limit. Okay, sure. Um, one of the reasons my group only plays for three or four hours is because that's sort of the attention span limit of some people in the group. Okay. Now we play all the way through, and there's no like meal break or specific bathroom break or anything like that. Right. But at the I can tell when people are starting to get fatigued. Yeah. So I end the session. <coughs> being tired is a is a fine excuse. Yeah, that's fine. To stop something. So find your limit. Find your group's limit. And there's going to be times where you break the rules. Oh, yeah. Where you play for six hours by accident. Yeah. Or you make the conscious decision to go longer. 
But uh, find your limit. Find what's good for the whole group. Yep. Uh, find the happy medium and 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 talk about it. Uh, just like so many things in life with any sort of relationship, talk about stuff. Yeah, communication is key. Yeah. We've said it a hundred times, but talk to the GM. And if don't sabotage your party. Right. And yeah. don't play an evil campaign. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, finding that limit is a good idea. Yeah. Like we've talked a few times about the fact that our game is eight to 12 hours, but yeah. we play monthly. We play monthly and we have a meal break always. If not two. Yep. Um, and we there are lulls, and I build lulls into the story where it's just like, okay, you guys are just going to take a break here. So I'm going to do everybody individually. you got like 20 minutes. Yeah. Get up, stretch, wander around, hit the bathroom, grab a snack. Like it's yeah. – I build that into it. Yeah. And also find the pace that works for yep. your group. If you are bored at the table because not enough is happening, you need to instigate more stuff. Yes. If you're worried about that happening – Look at your character build. Yeah. And build the character that would do that. Yeah. Maybe you are dropping that intelligence score down a little bit. Yeah. Maybe you are sticking the... Th- or dropping the wisdom. Mm-hmm. Whatever. If that pushes you to do stuff... Yeah. you're just like, yeah, let's do it, and you get started, it's uh, going to force pace. Yeah. A big thing that first players do when they're playing the game is they start playing and they just look at the GM, and they only interact when the GM is specifically talking with them uh remember your character has agency in this world yep you can do stuff if you want to do stuff if you're interested in something if the gm says something you're like oh i want to learn more about that go and explore that and the gm's job is not to tell your story no the the gm's job is to set the frame for your story yeah and help the party tell everybody's story yeah this is an ensemble Although most of the time, one or two characters are going to end up being in the limelight. Yep, they'll rise to the fore, but then they'll fall back, and another character will go up, and then like it's, yeah. it flexes around. But the narrative is built for you to interact with the other players as yeah. much as the DM. So don't just stare. Yep, don't just stare. And the other thing is, I would say, don't have an expectation. Your first game, your first character, is probably going to be very memorable for you. Yep. But it's also probably not going to be an epic ballad. Probably not. You know, and chances are you're not going to have a professional storyteller as your GM. No, unless you're super lucky. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> don't expect there to be crazy intrigue or politics or don't expect everything in a game. Yeah. Uh, GMs are always learning as well. Yep. Um, and the type of story they want to tell is as dependent on them as it is on, on you. Yeah, it is. And they're going to learn their group. And yeah. they have to learn the group as they're playing. Because yeah. that's something that, as a GM, you just you can't learn that before. You have to feel the dynamics and you have to see. Yeah. Because you've probably never played with this exact set of people before. Yep. So it's going to change things. Yeah. A, a lot of this is just go in with an open mind. But one expectation to have is to have fun. Yeah. That's the only expectation. If you're not having with. fun... Find the group that works for you. Yeah. Or if you just, if it's not for you, fine. Yeah. Not everybody's going to dig this. Yeah. It's okay. Not only that, if it's not for you and you feel that so strongly, but you still want to, there's something about the experience you like, try a different system. Yep. Because systems go from narrative to simulation to abstract. Yeah. Um, It's sort of the triangle of different types of games that you can play. And different people are going to find their home in different places. Yeah. 
the reason why D&D is so popular is it kind of sits in the middle of all those. It's dead center. Yeah. It's got enough simulation to satisfy most people. Yep. It's abstract enough that you can have weird, goofy things happen. Definitely. And it's narrative enough that you can tell really good stories. Yes. Um, so if, if you lean some way, don't be afraid to look into that. Yeah. And, and, and again, if you're looking... I don't know about Sean, but for me, if you're looking for a system that leans more one way than the other way, tweet at me. Yeah, I can I can help to a point. Yeah, I am more simulation to abstract. Yeah, but I love narrative games. Yeah, so it's just, I am not as well versed in other systems as Jeremy is, but I can definitely give you starting off points. Yeah, and where, chan- like chances are you have a friend that's really into this. Yeah, talk to that friend. Yep, because. And don't feel like you're putting them out because they've been waiting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they've been waiting to talk to anybody about this. I have never been upset when someone has asked me a game question. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Because um, it's just like, oh, you're into this. Okay, sweet. great. Awesome. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. So uh, you see the fourth to fifth cross spellcaster levels are. <laughs> and then they glaze over and they yeah, pass out. Yeah. Uh, and then I go through their pockets and buy myself soda. Hmm. Fresca. <laughs> sweet, sweet Fresca. Well, I guess that's it. You, Mr. and Mrs. Internet, are the lifeblood of our podcast. And we want to answer your questions or just have a good old chat. Want to talk to us on Twitter? I can be found at Mighty Thews. And Sean is at, at Sean Cord. That's Sean with a U. And we are at Guys From Podcast. Email us at guysfrompodcast at gmail.com. Or Facebook us at The Guys From. Yep, if you enjoy The Guys From podcast, tell anyone you can, any way you can, and the best thing you can do to help us get the word out there about The Guys From podcast is to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Though we are also available on pretty much anything that has podcasts, including the Blueberry app, Two Thumbs Up Media Player FM, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, you name it, we're probably there, and if we're not, let me know and I will fix it. Hey Jeremy, is there anything you wanted to plug? Yes, I would like to plug indie games. Specifically, I would like to plug Pyre and a game called Renowned Explorers. Okay. Um, video so, game? Yes, they are video games. Okay. So Pyre is uh, same developers as Bastion and Transistor. Okay. Um, and the reason why I'm plugging it specifically for this topic is that it is a game that actually has the most narrative variety I think I've ever seen in a video game. Cool. Um, depending on the actions you take, um, the story can be wildly different. Losing advances the story, always. Cool. You could lose every single match in the game, and that would be your story. I like that. Um, yeah, there's there's no cutoff point. You choose what happens to the characters. And in my first playthrough, by the end I was like, I just realized that all these characters have great depth, and the ones I sent to safety really early, I know nothing about. Hey. Right? So good replay value there. So great replay value. It's got an awesome soundtrack. Um, You can put the difficulty to almost nothing if you aren't interested in a difficult game. Yeah, then you're just getting the story. Yeah. So so that. And then the other one is Renowned Explorers, which I like because it's kind of a throwback to an older day game. Okay. Uh, Basically, you have a team of explorers. They have different stats and can level up over time. But you're going around encountering different encounters the reason why i'm plugging this for this one is it sort of lets you know it lets you see different approaches which you can take and put into a character cool uh so those are two games i'm going to plug especially if you're looking at webby variable narratives and different 
I guess, character approaches. Cool. Uh, what about you, Sean? Well, on our website, www.theguysfrom.com, aside from hosting this cobalt-filled podcast, we also write articles on things like music. That's indie music every weekday, throwback tracks on Thursdays, movies, gaming, although very little tabletop gaming. I may have to alter that. (laughs) TV, miscellaneous stuff, news, you name it, we probably write about it. For more pop culture slash horary goodness, head to Instagram for at Zillasuit. That's at Z-I-L-L-A-S-U-I-T. After I left iHorror, I decided I wanted to keep engaging in that community, so I decided to do my own thing. And also, after all of this, go play a game. Yeah. (laughs) Try it. Do it. If you're thinking about it, do it. It's worth it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Special thanks to The Sweets for our opening music. Uh, check them out at wearethesweets.com and also to Kevin McLeod for our ad music Minstrel Guild and our takeout music called Fearless First. This has been episode 191 of the Guys From Podcast. Thanks, Critical Role. Thanks for listening. Once again, I'm Sean. And I'm Jeremy. Have a great week, everybody. The Guys From Podcast is brought to you in part by Critical Fails. Oh, God, I love Critical Fails. Critical Fails are the best. They're so good. Embrace them. <laughs> Enjoy them. Ones are awesome. Yeah.